Welcome once again here and around the world as we are worshiping the Lord together. Right now we're preparing to go into God's word. Pastor Subash is sharing the message that the Lord has placed upon his heart, continuing the burden of the Lord. Good morning, precious people of God. It's such a great privilege to come again and to be able to give thanks collectively and to come together to hear the word, come together to reach out in prayer and reach out in giving. Welcome those that are watching, and if you could share this message, would appreciate. And if you're on YouTube, uh, tell your friends to be part of this worship experience. But particularly precious people that have come in person, we're so grateful that you're here. Let me have a word of prayer. Father, be with your people today. And together, collectively, you come to worship and to adore you. Reach out to everyone here and those that are watching. Touch them, O oh God, even as we have ministered to you. And even in the ministry of your word, touch lives. Precious Holy Spirit, you know every heart, you know every need. And I pray that you would draw our hearts to the Father through Yeshua Messiah, our Lord, our Savior. Touch lives today, Lord, spirit, soul, or physical, or the well-being of your people, their family, their loved ones, and the burden of their heart. I pray be lifted in the name of Jesus. Touch lives today as we speak the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, we give you the glory. We give you the honor through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God's people said, Amen and amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. There's something that I began last Sunday that is to do with burden. And I will distinguish the different burden. But it would be a thought in two parts or three parts. I believe it could go beyond. But it's going to be a very interesting study. It's something that particularly in an in a time like this, a very apt and important word, if you could understand as I, again, try to build the foundation and then go into what would be the Bible through the scriptures and go through all of the verses that would impart wisdom, understanding, and clarify the burden, particularly for so many, so many of God's people that have a special burden in the house of God. And I don't know what people are going through, but I understand this has been a very difficult time. We've never experienced something like this in our entire lifetime. I haven't, I've been around here for a long time. But I want you to know, no matter how difficult it has been, nothing should keep us from being instant in season or out of season when it comes to the work, the ministry, and the burden that God has placed upon our hearts. I want to first begin with what would be number one, burden. Then I would be talking about simply, and I will show not now, but much later, the difference between the burden of the word of the Lord to his people, the prophets, as opposed to the burden of the Lord, very important. Second, thirdly, I would be talking about something very important, that is to do the sticks, ways, and distinguishing what is uh, burden of the flesh or the self uh, as opposed to the burden of the word or the burden that uh, you are burdened with people who give you that burden or even uh, religion, Satan, as opposed to what burden God gives you. Very different in 
in contrast, uh, the burden that God gives you is something that raises you, that's something that brings you closer to the Lord, that wants you to depend more and more on the Lord, whereas the other burdens, not of God, suppresses you, limits you, restricts you, and simply oppresses you to such an extent you would do anything except pray. You would do anything except lean on to God, and you would be a worrying rat, worrying and fearful, and particularly so concerned about what's happening in the world, or what's happening in the home, or what's happening in the church, but you cannot do anything about it, because all it does, it burns you deep down that ultimately you will be incapable. And Satan will bring things, whether it be in terms of what we have gone through, this terrible, horrible virus, or it could be some curtailment or the other, but nothing should stop us, nothing should keep us, nothing should ever prevent us from carrying out the divine mission and the vision that God gives through the burden that he places upon us. But I want to first go into Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 1. And I want to say this. The way Zechariah begins is the burden of the word of the Lord in the land of Hadrach of Damascus. The burden of the word of the Lord. I would clarify what the word of the Lord, but this is certainly a burden that uh, Zechariah has. Some 500 years before Christ uh, probably in the 6th century uh, BC, but unbelievably a burden that has put such load upon him. And when you look at the background, here was a second expedition led by him with 50 plus thousand people coming in from Babylon with this marked destiny and vision to rebuild the temple. Then much later, there were others like Ezra and Nehemiah came in to rebuild the walls. Now, this prophet was joined by others as well. They talk about it, but his contemporary is basically uh, Haggai that speaks uh, strongly as well. What happens is the work that began suddenly comes to a grinding halt, and you can understand what this man does is to stir them to go back to what they have to do and don't let anything, including Darius, so including the situation with the Samaritans, uh, all of them creating a turmoil in stopping the work of God not to be stopped. Telling them to be revived, telling them to relive and revision and be reburdened with what God has given to them. And so this is a tremendous word, uh, literally compelled to bring them back to the will of God, to the purposes of God. And so this is important, particularly as Zechariah speaks, he speaks to us today as well. I want you to understand something very important when you talk about the burden. There's many aspects of definition when it comes to burden. In the Old Testament, it was very strong, uh, very strong near about to the point of threatening. Because Haggai comes very strong on your face. Uh, rather, Zechariah is more like different vision that he interprets for the people of Israel. But the prophets of the old were a rare breed because mainly the word that came to them burned them 
But they were different only because, unlike the New Testament, these prophets were also the writers of the, uh, the, letter, the books in the Old Testament. So you understand they do not have a luxury to change their mind. They have no luxury to think this is what they need to do or fearful and not right. No, this is exactly, precisely what the Holy Spirit gave, and that's precisely. They were very careful. They never played around with the word. And again, this is important because in the New Testament, we realize the, the sanctity and the tremendous uh, godly fear when it comes to handling the word of God because you do find the other side, the false prophets and the false apostles deceitfully handle the word of God for P-R-O-F-I-T, not profit. And so every aspect of them is to create a burden so they could get something about it. And Jesus roundly condemned that type of thinking, which is very prevalent in our day, in our generation. It's a lot about profit than prophecy. When you come to the book of Zechariah, he has a tremendous burden. And so it is near-threatening, really compelling, telling them this is what they ought to do, God is angry, and so forth. Very different from the New Testament. New Testament basically is important because the Old Testament is important because they begin to lay the groundwork for then for us to understand the completion of the Old Test of the of the Old Testament is found in the New Testament. The Old Testament is revealed in the New Testament. By the time you come to the New Testament, you have a fresher, newer, a completed vision of everything that began in a germ or in a embryo form in the Old Testament, now fully completed, and we get a richer, fuller meaning in the New Testament. What I mean is so strong is the word, but it has so much to do with responsibility. And this burden is a call. It burns within us for a reason that God calls, the greater the call, the greater the burden, the higher the call, the specialized the call. So we need to understand in the interpreting from the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not threatening. And yet it is, uh, in a sense, uh, yes, even though we live in a day of grace, burden, burden it is that burns within you to the point you realize, oh, how important it is. It's like a fire in our bones, like Jeremiah chapters 20 and verse 9 talks about. I want you to understand there has never been a revival. There has never been a movement. There has never been a spiritual awakening. There has never been what would be a mighty restoration without the burden. It is the burden that creates the vision. I will talk about it, not today, but this lengthy one, but I will allude to do it in just a moment. But this burden creates a hunger, a thirst. And unlike the burden of the world, Satan or anything, it doesn't oppress us, it begins to lift us, it begins to bring us closer to the Lord, lean on to God, to His Word and very, very sensitive and pliable uh, to the Holy Spirit and obedience to the Word and to the Spirit of the Lord. I want us to realize revival have began with the burden in individual lives or collectively among people, but these burden that God places within one or two 
becomes a momentum of people coming together, gathering together, and then comes what would be the outlaying of that burden, whether it be revival, whether it be an outpouring, whether it be a, a, a powerful restoration. All of this begins with the revival. It is so powerful that whether you read the writings of uh, great uh, men of old, you can see in their heart the power of God moving. One great statesman in the early century talked about in a powerful way that he said that as the, revi as the fire burned within me, I touched the fire and the fire engulfed me. That is what burden does. John Wesley said that as he had this burden, it was fire. And he said, I was all fired up and people came to see a man that was burning. That is what burden does. And I want to say how important it is. It should not be just in season. It should be out of season. It should not be in the summers and the springs of our days. It should just be as true in the autumn or in the winters that we go through. In the warmness, when there's a revival in our soul, and yet when there's coldness that we cannot understand, and yet there is a burning in our heart. The burden for the ministry God gives to you the burden for the call God gives to you should not be stopped. No matter what has taken place, no matter what we have gone through, it's no excuse. And I want you to understand as I speak, I'm not speaking to this local body, but what is happening across the world that this pandemic has affected. And I want you to understand, Satan has used this and never before to literally shut down churches. As never before, churches are now being converted into residential homes, into theaters, into coffee houses, because people have stopped coming. If that is the reason, Satan literally is winning over the lives of people when they should be standing up, burning for God, and drawing people for God, and lifting up the name of the Lord, no matter what. So this message has burned in my heart that I felt I must give. And so I stopped the series that I was doing on the book of Zechariah. I want you to understand how important this is because when you go to the book of Exodus and when you realize what takes place in chapter 18, you realize Moses was burning away and he needed help. And his father-in-law Jethro comes to him. And when you see in chapter 18, verse 17, and Moses' his father-in-law said unto him, the thing that thou doest is not good, the way he goes about doing it. Thou wilt surely wear away both you and this people that is with you, for this thing is too heavy for you that thou art not able to perform it yourself. So he gives an advice. Verse 22, let them judge the people at all seasons, and it shall be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every smarter they shall, every other small matter they shall judge, so it will be easier for, this, for thyself, they shall bear the burden with you. A burden needs burden bearers. 
burden needs armor bearers otherwise the person to whom god gives burden would be worn out burdened out that's not the purpose and so it's important for us to realize that this is something that god heard and god basically speaks to moses heart as well much later on it is carried out in a most wonderful way but it took a man Jethro, who's not the priesthood of the Hebrew, but uh, Midianite, to just rationalize, to just understand, to be able to reason out and then speak to Moses. You'll wear yourself out. The burden is too heavy. I want you to realize how important it is when people have such a great burden and when they don't have anyone to share with, oh, they could just go berserk. I was talking at the 8 o'clock service that... Uh, Many years ago, while I was pastoring in India, I met a precious woman, a British missionary. But she was so touched with what was going on. For her, demons everywhere. Every nook and corner, because she'd heard about things that were taking place, and the witchcraft, and the idolatry, and so much so. She was wearied with a spiritual concern. She was burning herself out to the point she became burned out. The problem was she was something she forgot to do was to take the burden to the one that shares the burden. If you were to look at the notes, you're going to find the design that was placed was not one oxen, but two. And the one that takes the greater burden is the Lord. So he could say in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 30, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Not so, but it is he who takes the greater burden. While talking about this, what is so funny, I got a visit many years ago from someone from Asia. He was so burdened. In his case, he was so burdened. He says, the morality in this nation, the things that happen here, the style. I said, hey, hold on a second. What are you talking about? He says, oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. I said, when you go around, is that what you see? How short the skirt is or how brief they are? Is that all that you're burdened of? Oh, the immorality drives me crazy to the point where he should have been praying where he should have joined hands with people if, if that was what a true burden that God placed upon him rather than that he became very critical of anything that took place in America so critical and I said watch out you will fall a victim of your own observation and by the way it's going to catch up with Asia it is where what you see in here is exactly what you see in many parts of the world, if not to a greater extent. I grew up at a time in India where movies, basically, even to show a kissing, they see them so close, and then butterflies all over. They don't show the scene. Oh, today it's vulgar. The uh, lyrics are vulgar. The gesture is vulgar, come on. It is spread all across the world. But again, like I said, the burden must have a burden bearer. Otherwise, you will wear yourself out or you would basically go berserk looking at the way in the natural. And I want you to understand that is a self-induced burden, which should have been a burden, it's making you cry out to God, reaching out to people. Otherwise, it's simply lost its point and its fire. 
When you turn to the book of Numbers, I would talk about it later, the definition is so strong and so powerful. In fact, in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 15, when you read, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is about to embark or go forward, after that the sons of Kohath shall come and bear, and they shall not touch, touch any holy things, lest they die. These things are the burdens of the sons of Kohath. Kohath are basically not Levites that are in the temple like the sons of uh, Levi, but they were nevertheless the uh, priesthood, but not in that fullest sense. You remember Korah and Datan and 250 were basically burned because of their horrible um, uh, rebellion against Moses. But I wanted to realize it did not stop the burden that was placed upon the sons of Korah. In fact, not only was their responsibility a tremendous responsibility, even though they were not performing the sacrifices in the temple, theirs was to carry on their back. Theirs was to hold on, and no one else can take their place. No one else can touch, even though they were not able to go in and perform this. But that was a task. That was their burden. And what you find is something most amazing, sons of Korah, Understanding where Korah came from and where he ended, but it was not so with the children of Korah. In fact, some of the Psalms uh, were written by Esep and some of the sons of Korah. Wonderful. The burden to minister in worship and song was so powerful. As you go on reading this, what is so significant in verse 19 of the same chapter, but thus do unto them that they may live and not die, when they approach unto the most holy things, Aaron and his son shall appoint, as shall go in and appoint them everyone to his service and to his burden. As severally as the Lord will, just as in the New Testament, as severally as the Holy Spirit wills. To their service and to that special burden that God places on their hearts. A very special burden from the Lord to do the ministry of service and the burden to do the work of the Lord. So when you turn to verse 27, you find here at the appointment of Aaron and his son shall be all the service of the sons of the Gershonites in all their burdens and in all their service you shall appoint them in charge of all their burden. This is not the burden of the word. This is not a self-induced burden. This is not the burden that religious, it is not a burden of Satan. It is the burden of the Lord placed upon the sons of Gershonite. In the New Testament, not all are pastors or fivefold ministry, but certainly there is burden, whether it be in terms of service to the Lord, they all get the reward, whether it be ushering, whether it be in terms of security, whether it's in terms of teaching children. There is so much and God gives specific burdens. Come pandemic or not, come war or not, come famine or not, the ministry will go on because the person with a burden will fulfill his destiny. Give the Lord a clap offering. When you read verse 31, and this is the charge 
of their burden according to their service in the tabernacle of the congregation, the boards of the tabernacle, the bars thereof, and the pillars thereof, the sockets thereof. The service, the burden, you can interpret that when you come into the New Testament in the fullness of the revelation and the Holy Spirit. Again in 32, and the pillars of the court round about and their sockets and their pins and their cords and all the instruments with all their servant by name, you shall reckon the instruments the charge of their burden. A mundane thing, carrying the pole, carrying on the pole the things of the tent, they're very precious to God and they have the reward. When you turn to 47, you find again this word. From 30 years old and upward, even unto 50 years of old, everyone that come to do the service of the ministry and the service of the burden in the tabernacle of the congregation. Service, burden. To the level your burden, to, the, to that level is the service unto the Lord. When you don't have a burden, when you do not have a fire, you are doing perfunctionary. You're just doing, not because you have a fire in your bone, but because, hey, just get away with it and do a little bit. And it's as man pleases and not as pleases of God. Just, oh, I can do something and then walk away. No, service is with a burden and a burden leads to a service. When you read 49, according to the commandments of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, everyone according to his service and according to his burden, thus they were numbered unto him as the Lord commanded. Everyone numbered. They are equally precious and vitally important. Every one of them. Whether they be from the Levitical order of service in the house, or whether it be doing the mundane things. But they're all spiritual. They're all important. One will not function without the other. And the other will not function without the first. So when you turn to Numbers chapter 11, you're going to find what you, uh, in verse 11, it says, And Moses said unto the people, this is, he's talking to the people of Israel. This is basically, he says to them, Wherefore, no, no, he's talking in this to the Lord. Wherefore hast thou affected your servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in your sight that thou layest this burden of all these people unto me? Because it became so heavy because of the griping and the complaints and the bitterness and the murmuring of the people. It was too much, too much for Moses. Towards the end, you realize he couldn't enter the promised land because he took upon himself such a way he hit the rock twice when he was told to hit it once. Because it's exasperated. It took a toll on him. In this case, this was something that only Moses would carry. Not even Aaron could be an Amaba or Ur at this point. They were important at that mountain. But in terms of this burden, it was specific for one man who was at that time the greatest of all the prophet. And you find in an amazing way in uh, verse 17, God is saying in verse 16, the Lord said unto Moses, gather unto me 70 men of elders 
And in verse 17, I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take the Spirit which is upon you, and will put it upon them, that they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou shalt not have to bear it alone. Towards the end of his life, the word Deuteronomy is simply uh, reminding a word repeated again. That's what Deuteronomy really, in so many ways, paraphrased means. What he's doing is he's telling the people of Israel. And when you turn to chapter 1 of Deuteronomy and verse 9, he says, I spake unto you at that time, saying, I'm not able to bear you myself alone. In verse 12, how can I myself alone bear your cumbersome and your burden and your strife? You make it so difficult for me until God basically reaches out to him. But it got him. And one of the things we need to understand, the burden should not irk you. The burden should not bring you to a place where, of course, there is prayer, the delay in prayer. It's uh, basically exhaust people. Then being very, very impatient because it's hard. Every leader who is in a burden becomes impatient. And sometimes you get so exasperated, you could literally hurt yourself. And in this case, Moses did. He was not able to go into the promised land. But I want to tell you this burden is very important. How do we deal with this burden? And how can we not only with people that would be able to share the burden are one with you of your heart, of your soul, that God does, but also how it can be basically uh, channeled to bring about the cause and the reason why God placed this burden. Like I told you, there has been no movement there has been no mission, no vision. There has been no churches or community in that sense reached out. In a sense without prayer. Or in the sense in terms of work. Whatever it be, whether it's Sunday school to Bible Institute. Nothing comes about without that burden that God gives. Not to suppress you, not to oppress you, not to simply limit you. But to be able that you would channel it. To go about accomplishing what God called you. A burden is like a fire. As I mentioned, Jeremiah chapter 29 says, A burden that burns within my bones. A fire in my bones. So when we go into this, number two I want to talk about, and I don't have time at this point, but there's two words I want to bring about, and this is found in um, uh, Jeremiah, and you could read that uh, uh, I'm sorry, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 1. Listen to this, the burden of the word of the Lord. And now he's talking not just the burden, but specifically burden of the word of the Lord. The Old Testament prophets, like the New Testament, was what would be screechy clean when handling the word of God. It was not for their own profit or for their own personal pers personal gain but it was simply a word that goes out preach the word be instant in season reprove and so forth and so forth that is what second uh, timothy chapter 4 and verse 2 says you have to you cannot uh, do half-hearted it says preach the word be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine 
It is a very personal word that comes to everyone, whether it be soul winning, whether it be prayer, whether it be reaching out to people, whether one in a Sunday school class or children's church or 20 or 200. There must be that holy unction, that holy fire to be able to do what God has called you to do without compromise, nor adding to what he has added or what he has said. So in these cases, in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 1, what Zechariah says is the burden of the word of the Lord. How could I bring and deliver? I will tell you how important it is that when a word was given, specifically, it says not only in the, in the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, that when you go, do not waste your time talking to people. Go directly. If it's to one individual or collectively, do not go. In fact, I will talk about an example where this man was told to go in and give the word to the king, but meet no one, speak to no one, stay with no one, until a false prophet came to him and says, God told me. And he said, God told you, but God specifically told me. But he said, no, no, God spoke to me. And you can read the story of how he was persuaded to stay that night. And the next day, while he was walking, this prophet, he was eaten by a lion. Now, this false prophet goes by. He hears about it, and he said, yeah, he should have listened. That's exactly what they do, false prophet. They want to knock down people. But I want you to understand, it is so powerful you have no luxury to waste your time when you should be. I happened to go down and met a, a big-time name preacher. He sat from one party to another, having people laugh from one another, and then straight away goes to the word to minister. He basically all what you call hyperbole, what you call simply like um, the people who basically motivates people, inspired people. It is nothing but the gift of the gap and all of this in terms of what you would see in their nightclub, what you would see in inspiration, getting all people hyped up, hyped up, but it was not from his heart. All he did was waste time, spend time, joke time, spend people, uh, spend time unnecessarily, but never a moment to be able to seek and to hear directly from God. It's so important, particularly when we are called to do something, that we be straight with the point of what God has given. We cannot afford to play around. This is very important. Nothing should stop us from performing what God had put a burden in our hearts. I want you to know, sometimes you find that people take the word carelessly, People misunderstand the word. Have you gone to what would be a preaching of the word of God and the man sends one scripture and the next 45 minutes he's talking more about money, giving you passages, exaggerating, and never talking about things that are important, things that have to do with the Savior, things that have to do with doctrine because it puts people to sleep. So it's always a stirring to itch the years in the last days it says people will have itching ears. Give me, sock it to me. I want stories. I want a joke. Make me laugh. My friend, you should go to a comedy club, not to the house of God. In the house of God, you've come to hear the word, however heavy it is. So when you look at Jeremiah, for instance, this is incredible because Jeremiah is... Uh, 
speaking in 23 of Jeremiah, listen to what he says in verse 36. He says, and the burden of the Lord shall you mention no more, for every man's word shall be his burden. For you have perverted the words of the living God of the Lord of hosts of our God. What do you mean? When you go to verse 16, and you can read the entire chapter, Thus saith the Lord God of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of these prophets that prophesy unto you, they make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart, and not out of the mouth of the Lord. They shall say unto you that despise me, the Lord said so and so. Then you go on to verse 33, he gets even more. In verse 32, I am against them that prophesy false dreams. Aren't we living in those days when, you know, there was a great advantage, no mentioning his name. He came in here and then behind the back he's sending letters asking for this, asking for that. Russia will go to hell if they don't help. But what was so strange is two people in the congregation, not knowing each other, came to me at separate times and told me that this man in San Diego ordered them to be pastors. And I looked at that lady and said, I've never seen you do a ministry. Never seen you out on the street. Never seen you pray. Never seen. So exactly what does this man all the way out of town tells you to do that the pastor knows you and not? You should grow in the ministry. Oh, the reason is he had asked a donation of $500. It is a certificate out of a popcorn machine, ping, and out it comes. Not with a burden, not with a call. You know what? If you can drive license with a, with a basically put 25 cents and boom comes your license, you, they would arrest you. That is defrauding. But in the kingdom of God, prophecy, great things, mighty things, and yet, pandemic came, and pandemic went, not a peep from these great prophets. They closed their door, they went to Hawaii, they went everywhere. But before that, they were casting out demons left, right, and forward. A little virus shut them down. Now they'll come back and talk big things again. And what is amazing to me, were the people, not so much in the charismatic moment, I am a charismatic, not so much in the charismatic moon, stood their ground. I don't agree with everything, but there is this man from, you know, California, even challenged the governor. He, they said, you could not shut us down. The word of God should not be shut. Of course, I believe there are pandemic times when it is only for urgence and for the lives of people, we must. But there was no one else. That man, 85 years old, has been forever preaching the gospel and he's never stopped all the way through the pandemic with the choir, with everything. I said, I don't agree with everything, but mind you, he's not a charismatic. While all the others are raising money, left, right, and forward, talking big dreams and big things, and whoop, poof, they disappeared out of the scene. What you find is here is what Jeremiah is saying, in verse 35, thus you shall say everyone to everyone, what hath the Lord answered? What hath the Lord said? And in verse 37, 36, the burden of the Lord shall you not mention anymore. This is not a burden that I have given. Very plain and very simple. 
I want you to realize when you see the burden of the Lord, it's incredible you can read the writings of these genuine, bona fide, what you call prophets. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 1 says the burden, and he calls it the burden of Nineveh. You remember, God gave Jonah the burden for Nineveh too. Jonah was no lover of Nineveh. Nineveh were cruel, violent people who hurt the Hebrew. Oh, he has no love. And yet God called him with a burden to go to Nineveh. Instead, he rushes off to Tarshish. God didn't give him up. He had a fish swallow him up and threw him into not Tarshish, but to Nineveh. And he went preaching. And yet in the preaching of God's word, this pouting prophet, yet the Ninevites humbled themselves from the top to the down, even their oxen and their horses repented and God spared the city of Nineveh. I want you to realize, my friend, when you see in Nahum chapter 1, verse 1, and I will talk about it next Sunday, God willing, the book of the vision of Nahum. Isaiah talks about that vision, a burden with a vision. Ezekiel talks about it in chapter 37, and he says the vision. And he sees the vision of dead, dry bones. And God says, can these bones live? It is important that we have this burden that gives us a vision. Without a vision, people perish. And this burden must give us a vision. Otherwise, we become stagnant. So when you go into the book of Malachi in chapter 1, again, a few years later, which is the last book, and then 400 years of silence, and Christ is born. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. When you turn to Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 1, Isaiah's burden, the burden of Babylon. When you turn to chapter 15 and verse 1, again, the burden of Moab because the night is, of Moab is laid waste. When you turn to chapter 17 and verse 1, it is the burden of Damascus. Chapter 21 and verse 1, it is a burden of the desert and the burden that is of the Arabia in verse 13 of the same chapter. He says, the burden upon Arabia in the forest in Arabia shall you dwell. In chapter 22 and verse 1, there's again the burden of the valley of vision. Listen to this. I will be talking about the burden of the valley of vision. That he talks about, Ezekiel talks about, Naim talks about. This burden gives us a vision. The destiny of God's people depend upon that. And then when you turn to Isaiah chapter 23 and verse 1. The burden of Tyre, how you ships of Tarshish for it is laid waste. Now of course these are in connection and in conjunction with the the nation of Israel, of course the prophets of today, the exception being the rule, do not give prophecy. You don't find prophecy in the New Testament against uh, Caesar or against the governor or Herod. There was no word. The prophets are to the house unless there's an exception made. I read a writing of a man basically giving words and encouragement and condemnation to Almost all the island are about in the Caribbean. Then goes down to all over Europe. I read this and where does he get this? I don't see a passage in the New Testament except when it comes 
to the book of Revelation. But that is an overall view of the whole world and the spirit of Babylon. And that is very different. There are exceptions to the rule, but otherwise it's literally telling the church about the nations, telling the church the burden of the nations, telling the church and that person the burden to pray, the burden to mission, the burden to this, but not speaking to kings and queens. The missions of the prophet is not just one house, houses of God, the apostle to houses of God, and yet I wanted to understand very different from the Old Testament. Could they give a word? Sure, they can give to nations. But like I said, there are exceptions, uh, not general, that you don't find as much in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, it was often again in conjunction with Israel because they had come to attack Israel. They come to harm Israel. And so these words of the prophets were, you will be punished for what you do. And yet God allowed nations that he prophesied to come in because God had taken away the hedge of protection from Israel because they began to bite the hands that fed them, the hands that grazed them, the hands that provided for them. And finally you find the hedges removed and Babylon comes in. Egypt makes them slaves. And so on and on you'll see that, whether it is Damascus or whether it is Syria or whether it is all the other nations around us. So then God speaks specifically to these nations, Nineveh or Syria or Damascus or Egypt. And these words you find, the prophetical words, burden of the prophet to these nations. That is God's burden. Number three I want to talk about is very important. I alluded to this last Sunday. But it's very important we understand for this simple reason, where and how do you define the burden? Burden in the Old Testament is masa. Simply means lifting up, M-A-S-A, or something that's released or something that's raised. But the Old Testament is heavy. The New Testament is in conjunction with duty, spiritual duty, the call of God, responsibility, and they are wide. And it en encompasses the entire aspect of ministry and uh, functions and all of this in the church and the worldwide. But I want you to understand the number one we need to understand is that burden that a self-induced burden. Some people say, I carry the cross. That's not a cross that Jesus, our Lord, has given you. It's a burden that you've taken upon yourself and you become a worry rat. You become so fearful. You're afraid of your own shadow. And the self-induced burden comes because you're watching too much news. You don't get sleep. You're afraid Russia is coming to bomb you. You're afraid that this nation has come to knock you down. That is the burden of the world and the politician. You should not. Unless God gives you a special burden. But the burden that you get out of watching the news is not of God. It is of the world. But then there's a self-induced uh, uh, burden. And I talked about Colossians chapter 1, chapter 2 and verse 18. It has some sort of a spiritual outlook, but it is not deep. It is simply, let no man beguile you of your reward 
in a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, including intruding into those things which he had not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind. The whole thing is self-induced. In verse 23, he goes on to say, which things you have indeed have a show of wisdom. It is not as a show. In will worship, humility, neglecting of the body, hitting your beating up your body and you think it's penance? No. It has an appearance not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. And so many people have this self-induced burden and they carry a cross saying Jesus carried his cross, I'm carrying a cross. Jesus carried a cross for you and me. But what are you carrying? That's not a load you should be carrying. There are so much that we can do and you got so bogged down and burdened with a self-induced burden, which is not from God. It's totally flesh. Number two, there's the burden of the world. I talked about the last time, Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, be not confirmed with the world. In fact, the world as what would be the last. And uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16 explains that burden. That literally for all the things in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we need to be careful. Number three, there is what would be, and I talked about it the last time, it is the burden that other people places on us that we are so burdened, bogged down, and we're afraid. But we take an unnecessary burden thrown at us and we take it and we get bogged down. We get literally burned out. You must understand something very important that this enslaves people. When you read Exodus chapter 1 and verse 11, that's what the Egyptians do. They were taskmasters. Therefore, they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. Then they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pithom and Ramesses. They built their own castles, putting you on the heavy burden. Nations can do that. Literally rob you of your money, hard paying tax, and then give it away to people who don't deserve it, who don't work for it. Any refugees come, we're going to bend backwards. And yet citizens are bogged down trying to keep up with every fancy that these men in higher places do. They do not spend a dime of their money. They want you to spend all their money. And then, when you are old, wait at a table in McDonald's. Excuse me? For a nation that can feed millions of people outside this nation, it is a shame. We're burdened! People are burdened! Then you find in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 11, again, it is Moses, when he was grown, he went unto the brethren and looked on their burdens and he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And we get burdened because of color issue, culture issue, national issue, and we take upon ourselves like politicians. Fighting for something, it's not our cause. Dividing the church, hating people, your own Christians. And what does Moses do? He took upon himself. Moved in the flesh. 
He went in and killed an Egyptian and ran pronto as fast as his two feet can take him way out in the desert for 40 years. I want you to understand these burdens makes you do crazy thing and you pay a price. It is not of God. I want you to understand Satan loves to burden you and add to your burden. When you read Exodus chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7. Look what Pharaoh does. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. What does he do in verse 6? And Pharaoh commanded the same day the taskmasters of the people saying to their officers saying, and verse 8 goes, 7 goes on to say, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick, as before, but let them go and gather straw for themselves. Excuse me, but you must do it in the same way that you had everything done. Otherwise, you will pay a price. And that is what the world does. We are not about talking about Egypt today in the New Testament. We're talking about the, the powers of Satan. And it is sad. So you can see that over and over and over again, this burden that gets so much bogged down and people bogged down with this. In fact, in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10, there's this passage, for now I, do I persuade you or God, or do I seek to please men, but if I, if I yet please God, men, I should not be a servant of God. We are not here to please every Tom, Dick, and Harry, but you are here to please God. That's very important. Then there is what would be, I talked about and alluded to, in the burden of religion. It can get very bad because Lamentation chapter 2 and verse 14 talks about false burden. And this is falsely called a burden, a prophecy. The prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee. They have not discovered thine iniquity, turn away the captain, and have not, and have seen false burdens and causes of banishment. That is why you get banished, you run away like crazy. That is not from God. You find again God speaking about people who take profit out of all that you have done by soft stories and hyperventing and making all sorts of things. Uh, drive you crazy. If you don't give, you bring, come under condemnation. That's what you find, uh, basically, Amos chapter 5, verse 11 talks about. And look at the way he says, For as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor, you take from him the burdens of wheat. What they put burden, you take away. You have built houses and hewn stones, but you have not dwelt in them. You have planted pleasant. And not far from here, there's a guy who basically has people doing crazy things. Sometimes they wear white, sometimes they bear this. But, hey, close the door. We got to have one more offering. We had to have three more offerings. And poor people sitting there have a sense of guilt, condemnation, if they don't give. I want you to understand, my friend, nobody needs to put you in that if you have a burden to give you will give, with or without us jumping around and like crazy, making you do crazy stuff. You see, it's not inspiration. It's not hyperventing. It's simply when God's people want to worship, 
Nobody has to force them. They come from their hearts. What if it never happened? Pastor Valerie said, if you don't worship, you'll go to hell. Won't happen. Will never happen. Oh, if you don't give, God condemns you. And so he's given. Then he goes back. And then I see $1,200. Yes, please. If you don't have money, just I owe you. Write it down. Give your jewels. Have you seen that? Horrible. In fact, Jesus had some harsh words to say, not against politicians, but against these religious people, the scribes, the Pharisees. In fact, if you were to take Matthew chapter 21, lo unto you, and the words are to the scribes, are to the Pharisees, are to the priests. Everything about them was an appearance, the clothes they wore, the things they do. And today they tell us we've got to do exactly like the Old Testament. Imagine me coming dressed like Aaron. And if you think you're going to respect me for that, it's a false respect. You can wear a modern dress, not fancy, and should be respected. I don't have to go to the Old Testament and bring the Old Testament uh, and all of the things of the Old Testament to impress people. You've seen this. It happens in the New Testament. It happens on the Pentecostals. I mean, you've got to bow down. A friend of mine was ordained. He was called Bishop, and I went to meet him. He put his ring out. Excuse me? <laughs> I have years of ministry, and I don't have the word Archbishop and Bishop. I looked at this and shook hands with him. <laughs> what in the world are they thinking? Pompous, showing your hand, so you kiss the ring. That is Catholic. If you want that, go and be part of the clergy of the Catholic Church. How could you be in the Pentecostal Church and do that nonsense? I want you to realize in Luke chapter 11 and verse 46, listen to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he says, woe unto you also, you lawyers or scribes or Pharisees, these are spiritual lawyers, you laid men with burdens grievous to be borne, and you sources touch not the burdens with one of your little finger. You want people to give you a thousand dollars, and you have a car worth a hundred thousand dollars. Why don't you sell it so you don't have to ask all these nonsense? Matthew chapter 23 and verse 4. Look at these strong words when it comes to religious. For they bind heavy burdens and grievous to be borne, and lay them on men's shoulders. When you come into the house of God, you don't have to be on a guilt trip. The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. Ah, oh, I should be given. Oh, a precious member of the church went not too long ago to one of the houses, not far from here, and she basically went in to have a word of prayer. And the prophet looked at her and said, God spoke to me. You need to give me your pearl. She had this pearl. And she took it out right away. And she said, let me give you also my earrings. And she said to me, Pastor, if this was a prophet, you would have known it is only $25. I brought it from Colossia. <laughs> what will you do with $25 worth of fake Pearl. The prophet doesn't know right hand from the left hand. But there are true prophets, great prophets. And yet there are 
prophets that misses the mark after prophesying great things. I mean, I'm trying to look and see there are only two people there. Either it's Biden or it's Trump. And some prophets said, Biden, God spoke to me. And some prophets said, God spoke to me, Trump. When do you get involved in politics? Does God speak to you on politics who wins? It is a matter of who and how many people elect that person. But why didn't you prophesy and tell me about pandemic? We would have taken precaution. When you look at it, my friend, there is the burden that Satan gives. And when you turn to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but these are the orders within the satanic kingdom, principalities, powers against rulers of darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places of this world simply means politics. I mean, all they do what they want. I like both the parties. I like certain policies of one or the other, but in the end, don't tell me one is better than the other. Everyone is controlled by a higher cause, bringing confusion. But that being said, spiritual wickedness, so not only the word, but spiritual wickedness means even in churches so-called, controlling as the hand of Satan that uses things to control, that you have a spiritual battle on your hand. What you find is God speaking about things that takes place and, and for, for Samuel, First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 tells you that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking, walking about seeking whom he may devour, he will devour you. We have to be always on the alert. But that being said, there is a sense in which Jesus Christ comes to break the bond. And this burden that is from Satan. In fact, there's something we must do first. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, submit to God and then resist the devil. You can't resist the devil without submitting to God. Again, when you go into the passage, you find that, look at what it says in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egyptians. We're not talking about Egypt and the Middle East. We're talking about a satanic kingdom. And I will rid you out of their bondage and will redeem you with stretched out hand and with great judgment. He did, literally, as he will do today. In verse 7, he goes on to say, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I like the way Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 4. He says, For thou hast broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of the Midian. Who does that? Same chapter, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 tells us how it comes about. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. He breaks the bondage of Satan. 
Micah chapter 2 verse 13 says, The breaker has gone forth. He comes to break the bondage. But I want to say, very importantly, that God gives us a bondage, and that is very different. In fact, He gives to us individually that I will talk about next Sunday, God willing. And He also gives us collectively as a church. You see, every church has a mission. Praise God. Reach out to the community evangelize, pray. These are all every church. But then God gives a specific vision to the man of the house. So I can't ape somebody else. That's his vision. Nobody can take away that vision and feel they would be running off with this. It won't work. God gives each man. In fact, when Jesus Christ spoke to the angel or the pastors of the church, seven churches, everyone specific, very different. Although they're all part and interconnected with one another, but very specific, each one in a different place. But to the church in Thyatira, the Lord Jesus had a word, but he uses this word burden. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 24 and verse 25, listen as I read this. It says, but unto you I say, and the rest of Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, which is of Jezebel, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak. Then he says, I will put upon you none other burden, verse 25, than what you already have, and hold fast till I come. Hold on to that what I come. What is the vision or the burden that God gave Therethra is not exactly of Laodicea, is not exactly the same of the church in Philadelphia. And so we realize there are burdens that God gives. I know we live in a time of grace, and grace means no law, but even though it is grace, when God gives us a burden because of the fall, it is an uphill battle. It is like going against the current. It's not easy, it's difficult. And like I said, we are yoked, not alone, but together with God who enables us. So when you go through these passages, you're going to find we have a cross, not a self-induced cross, but everyone has a specific cross. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus is saying, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. That's a great call. That's a very important call. You know, some have this burden to pray at the drop of a hat. I thank God for people, and I'll be talking about Galatians chapter of people that are in this church. But I'm talking about prayer warriors. I mean, thank God for them. Thank God. In fact, the end of this month, there would be a prayer walk. I'm not saying a march, a walk with all people who want to pray for. Begin here. Begin our pray for our city, for our state, and for the country and the world. But let's begin in our own Jerusalem. What I'm trying to say is there are people that burns with a burden and they are fervently praying and that's a prayer burden like there is a soul winning prayer. Thank God for um, Evangelist Marie Santiago and her team. And when you look at the prayer warriors, I see many of them are burned out because it's too much. But you know what Paul talks about this in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 12. Look what he says. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you. Always laboring fervently or 
burdening fervently in prayers that you may stand perfect, complete in the will of God. It's so important we understand this is so powerful, this is very important. What I want you to understand is when you look at these passages, you realize that God gives burden and burdens are specialized. That fits you. I cannot take your burden. I cannot be in your call. But you need to know what is it that God gives. And this burden gives you a vision, whether for extended time of prayer, whether it is to do this, whether it is that. There may be something that is there. Last Sunday, I was walking out of the church. A very precious sister came to me and said, Pastor, I always wondered why this is not cleaned and that is not cleaned. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Yep, do it. That's the burden I gave you. And she came to me, I've been always critical, but God gave me the burden. You talked about a brick that's missing, that is the brick. I want you to realize, my friend, everyone has a strong burden. God places that. And when you look at this passage, again, turn to basically Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 9. Look at the way he cries out. Then I said, I will not mention of you, nor speak any more in his name, but his word in my heart was burning like a fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary and forbearing. I could not stop speaking the word of God. I could not stop praying. I could not go out winning souls. Each one of you ministry leaders, whether it is this or whether it is, I cannot stop from being an usher. That last doe was a man who stood there till he dropped. For years, you remember Chris, who used to work at the Y, walked in there, that was the man, till the end. And it doesn't matter, storm or winter, he would be here. I ought to tell you something about the choir. I ought to remind you of someone, Ruby, that basically goes all the way back to Pastor Wright's time. She was a senior pastor then. She was living in Manhattan. Snow comes, heavy snow, young people are missing in action. They are able to basically ride through the snow. This senior citizen, through the water, through the snow, she was here singing. That is because the burden of the Lord, she cannot miss the church. She cannot stop from praising the Lord. That goes for every one of the choir. I'm talking about precious people that have this burden. It is very powerful. My time is up. I'll just close with this. Galatians chapter 6, I'll talk about next Sunday and verse 2. Listen to what he says. Bear you one another's burden, so fulfill the law of Christ. What law? That is not the law of the Old Testament. There's the law of Christ. I'll tell you this amazing thing. I just thank God I mentioned about the trustees, but there's a woman that basically records everything. This woman, Lenora, she's, and the husband, I'm basically boasting, but in literally they have a fantastic house in the Caribbean. Unbelievable house. Near the water in St. Kitts or wherever. They don't go there. They retired long time ago. Long time ago. 
They have never missed being at the church. I can count the number of times they go to see their grandchildren. But he is there at the board. Doesn't get a dime. He's burdened. You say, we are going to do something outside. He's there. You say, we are going to go out in the backyard. He's there. We are going to do something in the back door. He's there. These are people that burden. You say, prayer, prayer, evangelism. No, this is a burden to see the house of God blessed. Without them, it is so big a rock missing. I thank God for every one of you. For those who have held on and won't let go, pandemic or no pandemic, rain or snow or fire. These are people that strand strong and so strong. That's why churches like this are not burned out, have not been sold. Because of people that are in the background, you don't know them, but they make it possible. People that have continued to faithfully give in spite of the pandemic. And there are people that simply give. And there are others, prominent, they give not a dime. But the situation is, I'm so grateful for people, whether it is in the temporal or whether it is in the spiritual. There's no secular, there's no spiritual. Everything is unto Christ. You're not working for Uncle Sam or for yourself. You're working for the Lord. Everything we do is towards the Lord. So let this burden as Charles Finney and as John Wesley said, I've reached out and touched the fire. I'm burning. And people have come to see me burn for the Lord. Give the Lord a clap. A Lord clap. Of